Well, there we go. It's time for the Story Fits. 88.5 Radio. The Story Fits. My name is Mike Fitzgibbons. I am the host of The Story Fits. I have a guest here today in the studio. I'm going to get to him in a minute. What we do here is basically we tell stories, but we start with sports and stories from sports. And we take interesting people from the community and listen to their perspectives of what's going on in sports. And we try to stay positive. That's the whole point. Um, I thought in, in helping start the show was that we hear so much of the negative and very little of the positive. And so... This show is just skewed positive, folks. And the second half of the show, I, my guest and I will talk about various positive stories I happen to bring along. Some of my favorites from the last couple of weeks. Uh, so we'll be doing that. My guest, we are really lucky in the studio right next to me is uh, Mr. John Halloran, who is the former boys and girls soccer coach at Carmel Catholic High School. And in his role then... The only soccer state championship in Carmel history was won by our girls back in 2015. 15. Um, and John was the head coach for that. John also coached uh, wrestling in his time at Carmel. He comes to Carmel from uh, Michigan State. Uh, he, he is a high school wrestler. Uh, and he's from Muskegon, Michigan. And proud to tell that people <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. I it's like, what did I read? It's the second uh, most dangerous city in, in Michigan? Uh, it was finished 299 out of 300, one ahead of Flint. Uh, one ahead of Flint. If you're ahead of Flint, you're okay, yeah. I guess, at least water-wise. So, John Halloran, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Okay, so, John, you know, let's dive right in. Uh, basically, what we do here is we try to, you know, t take a look at some interesting things in the, in the world of sports. And you have a really interesting perspective. And I didn't mention this, folks, but John covers uh, professional women's soccer and, and high amateur and, like, Olympic-level women's soccer for a couple of publications. He freelance writes and, and is very, very, very widely read in the world of women's soccer in the world. So he has spoken to all of the greats, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and he knows what's going on there. And so, you know, we've had an ongoing conversation on this show, John, and that's what we will get to this part of the hour. You know, your views on, on do women really have the Title IX, you know, promise? Do they really have it? So we're going to get to that. But, you know, I'd like to know a little bit about your own career, John. Could you, can you run a bias? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I was I played sports, you know, as a kid, like I think uh, most people do growing up, played everything, baseball, basketball, um, wrestling, soccer from the time I was real small. And then, uh, you know, I think like a lot of kids today, probably even more so today, you know, you start narrowing, narrowing that down the older you get and uh, had to start making some choices. So um, baseball was probably my third sport, so I dropped that really started to focus on soccer and wrestling um you know worked my way i didn't have a lot of talent um but i i was very determined and uh i worked myself into a starting position my senior year of soccer um i i had a little bit more opportunity in wrestling i was on the varsity as a sophomore um, but didn't see a lot of success I, I won 10 matches and lost 21 as a sophomore um but again you know just worked real hard and then uh um, 
you know, had some had some success in both sports by the end of it. And uh, and then uh, ironically, because of uh, not achieving what I wanted to achieve uh, at that level, when I uh, became a high school teacher, very, very much wanted to coach. And that's what led me into coaching at Carmel and uh, did 19 years as the varsity boys and girls uh, coach, 19 seasons, um, 12 on the girls side, seven on the boys four years on the lower levels, and then, uh, as you mentioned, five years as a wrestling coach as well. So four on the lower levels of soccer? Yeah. And then the varsity coach in girls' soccer for how many years? Twelve years. Twelve years. And and then it finished with that state championship season. Right. Did you know, John, that you were going to retire after you, after you won? Uh, or before you won? Before the game, did you know? No. Absolutely not before the game. Uh, I did joke with our uh, athletic director, Andy Bitto, when we were getting our medals. I, I, I just said, uh, I leaned over and said I quit. Um, <laughs> I was, I, I guess, half joking because I did end up resigning, but that was uh, a few weeks later. So um, when you're preparing for a state championship and you're, and, and you're getting ready, and I'm assuming you saw – you know, how many other teams played down the stretch. You saw all the teams, you know, when you're preparing for that. You told me once that you spent a lot, a lot of time in preparation on set plays mm -hmm. and things like that, yeah. like a lot of practice time on set plays. And and is that what happened that, that those last two weeks? Do you remember the last two weeks well, John? Like this is, what, uh, four, going on four years later. Yeah, I still remember uh, the last few days of practice pretty well. Um you know, I'm I'm very much into routine uh, in organizations. So, you know, we spend a lot of time, or we did spend a lot of time on on set pieces. But uh, it, it's kind of funny because the more you do it, the better the kids get at it. And um, you know, we could take what would take maybe two and a half to three hours at the beginning of the season, and our kids could run through every single set piece scenario in about 20 minutes um, in a practice the day before a game. So we got real good. Um, at making sure that everybody knew what their responsibilities were in probably 12 different set-piece scenarios, and they could right uh, off the top of their head tell you where every single player was supposed to be, including in every single sub-rotation. Well, that would explain why you won a state championship. <laughs> uh, it helps. Um, if they could do it in 20 minutes and it takes three hours, or the per in March it's taking three hours, and in May it's taking 20 minutes. Come on. Yeah, I you mean, had a special group of girls there, and you guys were. That was you, your staff. Your, your, you know, lightning was in a bottle yes. there, wasn't it? I yeah. mean, seriously. I mean, you, you know, two thousand eight, we had a real good team. It was seven years before we won the state title. And we went down state with that group, and we had only lost one match all season. And you know, even before that playoff series had began, somebody said, you know. Well, what are your chances of going down state? And I said, you know, probably forty percent. They said, what are you, you know, what are you talking about? You've lost one game this year. And I said, you guys don't understand how hard this is. You have one call go against you the wrong way. You, you know, you have one freak penalty. The wrong person gets injured. You have a bad day. You, you know, your goalkeeper drops a ball. Your forward misses a shot. The, you know, the, the difference between winning and losing is so small. And so even that year. You know, we knew at the beginning how talented we were, but, uh, you know, we, we sat down in my classroom first day, you know, after the tryouts were over and we had our team set. And, uh, you know, I kind of walked them through all the different things that we were hoping to do with them and, and kind of how we were looking to play and, you know, what our basic strategies were. And then at the very end, I talked about, like, 
this is what I think you're capable of. And at the very end of that presentation, um, you know, was a slide that said, you know, state qualifiers, question mark. And it's a question mark because you, you don't know. You, you have no idea what's going to happen. Um, you know, it's funny because that season that we won it, um, we lost our last two regular season games. Now, part of that was by design. We had purposely decided to rest some kids and, you know, make sure that everybody was healthy going in, going into the last game. But, um, you you don't know what's going to happen. You can have a freak moment at, at, at any point. And, uh, in the sectional final game, we had two lightning delays and we had graduation that night and <laughs> half our kids, our seniors were ready to leave. <laughs> so, um, you know what, until this moment, I've forgotten that. <laughs> now yeah. I remember. I mean, you never, Go you ahead. never know what's going to happen. Um, in the, in the state final game, um, you know, we scored our goal with about a minute and 30 seconds left. Um, and I think I blocked this out of my memory. I just forgot it. But 30 seconds later, they came down the other way, and they almost scored. They almost scored. I remember and, that clearly. And, and I, I didn't remember it until I went back and watched the tape. Um, so who knows? And we, and we were we were beat at halftime that game. You know, I went, I went into the bathroom um, at halftime, and I came back out and – you know, we had played a tough semifinal game the day before. We had had the afternoon game, so it was hotter um, in our semifinal than it was in the other for the other team. And the other team had an easier final semifinal, and it was cooler out, so their legs were were still good. And we got into the final, and we got to halftime. And I I came out of the locker room, and our girls were sitting in the shade behind one of the goals, and I thought, oh God, we're in trouble. Like they just looked beat, and um, it was actually Steph Swanson our assistant who had actually played for me on that 08 team and remembered what that felt like to lose downstate. And um, she made the decision essentially to pull our starters in our sub rotation in that second half a little earlier than normal and just reamed the kids on the bench. Um, was just so upset that they, that they weren't digging deep at that point. And, um, you know, again, that could have gone the other way. Easy. So, um, there's a lot of luck involved, and you got to have the right staff. You know, not only her, but Brendan Leach was our goalkeeper coach that year, and I, I love Brendan. Brendan is is the absolute best goalkeeper coach that I've. You know, uh, we were just so so lucky to have him, and um, and that dynamic between the coaches as well has to work out. So there's a lot of different things at play. So you're you're uh, you win one to nothing. Okay. You don't know you're going to retire, but okay, it's you're pretty close to knowing, mm -hmm. and you're pretty close to the end if you're not going to retire. Right. So, because your boys are starting to get a little older, and you know your life is changing, yep. and you have two sons, right? Yep. I, I'm just filling everybody in here, you know. And so, uh, those last seconds after they almost score, now you blocked that part out of your <laughs> mind, but after they almost score, the last few seconds, when you know it's over, mm -hmm. okay. Come on now, you know, there's people listening that have never experienced a state championship, John. Go. You know, it's just, it's, it's, um, at first, it's a lot of restrained joy because you still have to shake the other coach's hand and there's still, you know, um, those type of, like, you, you still have your responsibilities to take care of. You know, you got to go over and, and tell the officials good game and all of that. So um, for me, it was more in the weeks to follow that, that there was just, there was, a happiness that uh like any t and even now i mean it's you know as you mentioned it's been almost four years but i get to drive in every day to work and see that sign every single day and every time i see it i smile and it, you know it's four years of that so um 
it's just a for me it's a longer term thing and um ironically you know in 08 it losing felt um what I would have expected it to be like when we came down that second time in 2015, having been there before, um, you know, Kevin Nyland, who's one of our, our good friends, had uh, texted me when uh, we were on the bus on the way down. You know, how are you feeling? And I said, I f- this is the, the most relaxed I've ever been for a game I remember in my that. life. He texted me right away and told me that. Um, and you know me well enough to know that I, I am, I'm wrapped up when we're playing the worst team in the conference, you know. So that was, that was a different feeling for me. And I think um, – it was just like, I've done everything I can, and the kids got to just go out there and play now. And, um, you know, to get to that point and, and to be able to experience, you know, standing on the sideline of a state championship game, um, because we had had a set piece, you know, I mentioned that earlier, that uh, that we had practiced the entire year, and it was a very specialized set piece. It would only come up in one certain scenario, and it came up with about five minutes to go, and we ran our play, and it worked perfectly except for the final the shot went maybe a foot wide but everything worked in that set piece to create the opportunity to create the shot it goes a foot wide and I was laughing you know I just uh to have that amount of uh just to be that relaxed in that moment was uh was a different experience for me as a coach well so having that experience so you have that experience and you had a lot of great experiences with the boys it gives you perspective which is what you're talking about which i'm assuming i'm guessing and i think i'm right which has provided you a lot of great perspective as a writer uh covering soccer even though you cover a level way 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 above where you were coaching it really doesn't matter in the end does it it's still the same thing they're practicing they get to a a world cup final is really a state championship game the coach has done everything they can. Yeah. They got to. They got to do what they got to do. And there's a couple of set pieces, and the ball goes about yeah. two feet wide. I mean, really. So, let's let's take a look at. Uh, um. What is that? Well, you know, let's let's jump to this. What has that done to you as a person? Well, I, I mean, you know this uh, that uh, the the oddest part for me was that I had spent thirty nine years trying to accomplish things and all of a sudden I didn't have a goal in front of me um, and that was really f- at first it was nice to just kind of exist um, because I hadn't I mean you know my wife will tell you this that the years that I was coaching she would walk around even though we had just finished the season there would be these little notes all around the house of like ideas and formations and depth charts and and I was doing that stuff 48 hours after we had been eliminated one year, just 363 days ahead of the next year, get, trying to get ready and prepare and make sure that we had everything set. Um, you know, as I said, organization was huge to me. So it was very odd to not have anything in front of me. Um, and, you know, at first that was nice because I was present in the moment for the first time in a long, long time. Um, but then it started itching a little bit like what you have to do something like you you, it's hard to switch that off so it took me a very long time to kind of recalibrate um how i just went about my daily routine well i i find that interesting because my response to that would be recalibrate you've never that would suggest that there had been a day where you didn't have a goal (laughs) you never didn't have a goal yeah you had to calibrate like you had a create a whole new 
Yeah. And and the re- that's why I, I switched questions here to ask you that because I said, you know what? I want to know. What did you do? What do you do when sports no longer, you know, yeah. is it? And, you know, I know how I handled it, but, you know, I did, I'm different than everybody else, certainly different than you, and I was way older than when I did it. Yeah. So, you know, you, you, so now you're covering it. And I guess, and that's not, that's certainly not, that's not the same. You could be leaving notes all over the house, but that's about yeah. the formation of an article or yeah. a column, right? That's a whole different story. And so let me ask you, you know, it's been a question that's been brought up over and over again on my show here. Uh, you know, and you're very, very close to the way the girls' uh, soccer goes in the, in the country, in mm-hmm. the world, in, in the area, in our school. Right. Is Title IX a reality that works? Do girls really have the same opportunities? I mean, I know they don't get paid the same. Okay, that's okay. I get that part, but you know, that's about that's more about ESPN and stations like that than it is about that reality. Go ahead. I think Title IX's opened up a lot of opportunity. I mean, women's soccer is probably. I, I think most people would tell you that women's soccer has probably been the biggest beneficiary of Title IX. Um, it's probably the reason why the United States women's national team is the best in the world and, and has been or very near there for since 1991. Um, so, you're, you know, you're looking at a 20-year period of dominance. Um, and they do – it does increase opportunities for them um, in terms of collegiate scholarships. Um, so there's more opportunity in that realm um, for sure. I, I, I still think there's issues. You know, number one, I, I have a, a unique – view in that I was very much a proponent of women's soccer, but I'm also, even to this day, a very much a proponent of amateur wrestling. And one of the things that a lot of universities did, um, instead of increasing opportunities for women, to equalize the opportunity, they cut opportunities for men. And, you know, college wrestling programs were a huge, huge part of that, you know, throughout the country. Um, That's, you know, typically that and men's gymnastics are typically the first two programs that get cut. Um, So I, I think my... Uh, viewpoint on it um, is, is is probably unique in that regard, but you know also being very very closely familiar with the National Women's Soccer League, which is the professional you know women's league, um, I can tell you that they still very much struggle for any sort of relevance, um, and you know the, the players are really living in a in a semi-pro uh, environment, and um, and I can also tell you that. No matter who you speak to, whether they're at the bottom of a, a professional roster or the top of the women's national team, they will talk to you about people in their women in their life who inspired them, and it's typically their mother or their aunt, or you know. And, and so, we have this historical lack of representation, and it makes it more difficult, I think. You know, and and, and you know this, you know, from sociology that. If people need someone to look to uh, that is representative of them in those positions, they have much higher rates of then going into those fields, succeeding in those areas. And so I think, you know, in terms of um, women's representation, we're just at the very, still at the very, very beginning of starting to turn that towards, you know, people looking towards women's athletes, little girls having women athletes to look up to. Um, and I, I, you know, that Title IX has helped create that. I think there's still a long way to go. Well, I, I was say, I couldn't help thinking about what you said about 
that last piece about, you know, look, looking at someone ahead mm-hmm. of you and then mimicking or right. where they go. And and it's it's very, very interesting. I, te- I, I teach, you know, I get made fun of a lot. I teach one class and everyone else. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I don't really work very hard. Uh, but I teach one class of freshmen right now, and I got really, really, really great, great class and really a great bunch of girls. And what they don't know about their <laughs> disadvantage, yeah. the behind-the-eight-ball-ness. They think they're lucky because they're reading Old Testament stories where, you know, they'd be pregnant for the second time already at this age. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they're lining up like cattle and being sold like cattle. And that's the way they're thought of. They're not really thought of as human beings. They're thinking, well, yeah, we got it great down there. So, yeah. so I have to ask them, how many CEOs in the top Fortune 500 yeah. companies, how many women presidents, to, to, to shake them loose a little bit, yeah. going, come on, girls. You know, I don't, it's a, isn't, it, isn't, it part, isn't it part education, John? What do you mean? Well, you know, I, the male-dominated the male society, isn't that, we teach it. Well, I think it's 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 just a continuation of the way things have been. That's so what I'm talking yeah, about. I think there's a legacy to it that you know. And again, this is cha- it is changing. It is getting better. So you you know you just as you mentioned, like you know, obviously Old Testament to modern day is a gigantic leap, um, you know, in, in the history of man. But you know, I can I can look at women's soccer. So uh, women's professional soccer. There was the WUSA, which folded after three years. There was the WPS, which folded after three years. Now there's the NWSL, which is about to go into its seventh or eighth season. So now, you know, we, we've, we've created a, a survivable professional league. Um, when that league began, minimum salaries, minimum salary in the league was about $7,000 a year. Like, who can live on 7000 right? I mean, that's clearly, you know, a part-time job. Today, the minimum salary is closer to 16000 So is that a livable wage? No, but it's a lot closer. Um, so, you know, you have to balance what you're talking about, which is, are they where major league soccer is? Absolutely not. Is it better than where it was? So, you know, you're, you're trying to balance progress with, you know, the realities of the world too. So, um, but at the same time, you know, the men's, the men's national team and the women's national team are not compensated the same. They both work for a nonprofit organization. So we can have a discussion about revenue and ticket sales and all of that, but they're, they're, they're both, you know, being paid by a nonprofit organization. Um, and yet they're being compensated differently in that in that setup. Um, in in some cases, significantly different. So, like I said, it's, there, there's a balance of those two things. Two things can be true at the same time. You know, we don't live in a world. I think of people who recognize that they think that everything's black or white or yes or no. Um, things are getting better. Uh, they're clearly not you know where a lot of people think they should be. They're clearly not equal. Well, you know, in this show. <laughs> I hope I'm always looking for the positive angle. And you know I was I knew I was gonna get the truth from you and I rolled the dice. I didn't know where that question was gonna lead us. But I said I gotta ask it and now you're saying you're the one who's coming out and saying, Yeah, it's moving in the right direction. Yeah. And what I'm hearing is the new professional I kinda of thought I read this. The new professional women's league is actually already doubled the time of the yeah. other two. Yeah. So it's happening. Not as fast maybe as we would like. Right. You know, I think, you know, I still think it has to do with what it's sold, how it's sold, and you know. And well, sure. I mean, you know, uh, listen. Almost everybody in my life is uh, a soccer fan at some level, whether that's you know at a very small level or a fanatic. I would say that sixty percent of them do not know that Chicago has a professional women's team. 
So yes, the marketing is an issue. There's, there's just a, the, if, if people don't know you exist, obviously they're not going to come watch your games or you know watch you on TV. So. I think that you ought to take a busload of uh, Carmel soccer players <laughs> to it. Yeah. To one of the girls, the women's games, the Chicago women's games. Don't you think you ought to do that? And I think you ought to take the busload of soccer players and include the boys' soccer yeah. team with them. That would be the move because that would draw attention. Look, not only the girls went and watched the girls, the boys went and watched the girls. And why isn't well? Why isn't more of that happening? I, you know, uh, John, tell me a story. What is the most? I, you know. Uh, Give me a story. The most inspiring story, you know, that uh, you as a coach experienced. All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna skip the superlative because I don't know if this is the most inspirational story, but this is this is the best story I can think of uh, at this moment. Um, we had a, in 2014, my second to last year, we had a junior um, who we knew had the athletic potential to play varsity soccer, but she was clearly not good enough that year to, to contribute. So we sat her down and we, and we told her that, you know, listen, you have potential. Um, she had been playing on the lower levels as a forward. I said, I can make you an outside back, but it's going to take a year. So you have to trust me. You're not going to play at all this year. And we didn't have a good season. We were, you know, like 12 and six or something for us. That was not a good year. And, um, we had 16 field players on that team. 15 of them saw game time in every game. She was the only player who did not play at all in any competitive situation that entire year. And when you're losing games, people become convinced that it's because you're not playing the right people. So God knows what people were telling her, or maybe even what her folks were telling her. Um, but uh, never complained, never said a word about it, worked hard at every practice, did everything we asked her to do. Um, end of the year comes, like I said, we didn't have a good year. We were you know, 12 and six. Two of the kids from that team transferred out of the school and at the end of that year, I was so frustrated with how things had gone during the year that I sat down and wrote a resignation letter that I never turned in. We get into the next year, and this kid is, you know, has, has worked hard and done everything we've asked all over again. Um, it's 2015. She's now a starter. She's a captain on that team that wins the state championship. So that kid who didn't play a single minute as a junior and who just – put her nose to the grindstone, worked hard every day, never complained, sat through a pretty rough year um, by our standards, ended up being at the very top of the top uh, pyramid the next year. So that's still, and that's a great story, and I don't know why you went, that wouldn't be like one of the number one stories, but I, that's a great story. And so, so it still happens. It, it still happens that you don't, sometimes a kid doesn't get the promise yeah. of playing time. And they still work hard, 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 and have a great experience no matter what anyway. Yep. Because I would sit here and say as an ex-coach that that senior year that she had, which is a wonderful part of the story, wasn't necessary for that to be a wonderful story. Yeah. The wonderful part of the story is that she worked her keister off like he asked her to her junior year and then didn't transfer out and came back and play, or tried, tried again her senior year. She's also the one who uh, saved the play on that that uh, opportunity for the other team with 30 seconds left. She's the one who made the difference on that play, the one that I blocked out of my memory. Clearly he didn't block <laughs> it out of his memory. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's it. Well, that's a great story, and I think we're about to finish the first part of our show. Remember, it's The Story Fits. We are at 88.5 FM. 
the story fits with Mike Fitzgibbons and his guest, John Halloran. See you in a minute. This is Archbishop Blaise Supich, and I'm pleased to be here at the Pro-Life Rally, the March for Life here in Federal Plaza. And I've been asked the question, why is Catholic Radio important? Well, it's important because we need to get the word out. And more that we can broadcast widely the message of Jesus Christ, we really are doing the mission of the church. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at wsfiradio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. How has the Men of Christ Conference impacted men and families? I am 28 years old. I live in Waukesha. I've been married for three years. I have a two-year-old daughter and another one on the way. The biggest thing I hear from a lot of men in their 40s and 50s is, oh man, I wish I could have been doing this 20 years ago. And the Men of Christ that day is just such a great refreshing, a recharge. It just gives you that spiritual kick in the butt. When you're in college, it's a very formative time. You have a lot of different sources of information, of guidance. Some are good, some are bad. One that will always be good is Christ. When you surround yourself with guys that are focused on Christ, you will gain that focus too. We gotta stand up and we gotta fight for this and stand proud and show everyone what it means to be a Catholic man in today's world. Join 3,000 men on Saturday, March 30 in Milwaukee for the Men of Christ Conference. Learn more and register at menofchrist.net. That's menofchrist.net. Want an example of a false sense of security? How about relying on the life insurance you get through work to pay for all of your final expenses? Do you have plans to retire someday? Or do you plan on working for that company for the rest of your life? The fact is, you may lose your life insurance when you leave a company. I'm Matt Tomlinson from Catholic Financial Life, and I invite you to share your hopes and dreams with me. To discuss your options for protecting your family, call me at 847-548-MATT. That's 847-548-6288. Products and services not available in all states. WSFI FM 88.5. We return to the story fits. I'm your host, Mike Fitzgibbons. Um, that's a play on words, the story fits. You see, John, that's yes. F I T Z, though. Uh, my guest is John Halloran, uh, you know, accomplished and star coach, former coach, Carmel Soccer, and uh, we're really one of the great history teachers we've ever had at our school in my 43 years there um he doesn't get enough credit for that but that's what everybody thinks and uh and he also is an accomplished writer an international writer for women's soccer and uh now how's that for a life and a wife and two kids and uh some people say your wife must be uh, <laughs> a saint a saint yeah. john uh, to have the patience that she has <laughs> Aren't you spending a month in Europe this year? Uh, yeah, I'll be in France for <laughs> 31 days. So. 31 days. Yeah. Are you taking your wife with you, John? Uh, she will not be. <laughs> she will not be joining you. 
<laughs> How do they know that? Yeah. So she'll, uh, and the boys, where will they be? How old are the boys, John? Uh, six and 11. Six and 11, yeah. and they'll be home too? Yeah. Wow. And so you're doing an 11, uh, 31 days covering? The United States women's soccer team as they uh, play in the World Cup. As they play in the World Cup. Now, how does that work really fast? Do you, do you, do you find hotels, or did they find you hotels? So um, for the first half of the tournament, um, I'll be using just Airbnbs and, uh, and using the train system to get around. And then after that, I may be joining the, uh, the media group. I haven't quite decided yet. Your decision? Yeah. You can travel with the media accommodations that they put together, which includes hotels and transportation and all that. Uh, but, uh, I, I, yeah, I haven't decided what I'm going to do for the second half yet. Uh, what, what, I'm, I'm confused. Who's paying for this? You get, you would get, they would pay for it the second half? No, 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 no. The, you'd still pay for it, but they, the U.S. soccer organizes the, the accommodations for, for the media if you, if you opt to be part of their traveling press pool. Do they get they get better deals? I have no idea. I haven't seen any of the details yet. Um, like I said, that's all kind of up in the air right now. So come on now. I'm I know I'm getting pick, I'm picking at it, but so you're going over there, right? And staying at Airbnb. Yeah. Okay. You have to pay for that. Yeah. Is somebody paying you? Yeah, to so write. I you we, I work as a freelancer for a couple of different websites, so. You, it, it's really, it's, it's not entirely dignified. You have to kind of go around to different sites and say, this is my idea. Will you pay me to write it? Um, so that's kind of how it works. And then depending on how much you sell is how much you make. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's really kind of the Wild West when it comes to that. But since you have, a, well, a pretty, pretty big following now, people are going to be reading you anyway. Yeah. So you're really going in knowing you're going to get paid to do it. Yeah, you, 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 you recoup, hopefully, all of the money, um, or at least a good portion of it. But, uh, you know, I'll be enjoying my time there, too. The Part of the reason that I, I, I'm staying independent for the first part is I want to make sure I have time to go to Normandy, and I want to go see the Palace of Versailles and, you know, do some of the historical stuff as well. And uh, one of our fellow teachers is coming out there with me for the first couple of weeks, so we're going to... We're going to travel around and make sure that we you know, get our history Wait, fixed, which too. fellow? Uh, Brian Smith will be coming out with me, too. So That's probably should be illegal. So um, <laughs> you're going to go to Normandy. Yeah. You've never been? No. Whoa. Yeah, I'm. Uh, 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 to be honest with you, I'm a little, a little I don't know if scared is the right word, but uh, I expect it to be incredibly powerful and uh, solemn. I, well, knowing uh, John's a big history buff, and he has told me a lot about his experiences at Gettysburg, folks, and uh, he's been there a number of times. Uh, I actually have been in Normandy. I'm a big, you know, as you know, as we've had many conversations, I'm a big student of the World War II era. My father fought in World War II, but he fought in the, in, in the Pacific, but I'm, so I went, I, I was in Normandy about eight years ago, and uh, I uh, I spent the entire day crying. Yeah. And I put my, like they tell you, put your heels in the, heels in the water and look up. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> I just, it's a powerful, powerful thing. You know, and, and, you know, you think about people like that in that generation and where we are as a world. And, of course, you know, you could say, oh, the hor most horrible things have happened and but, you know, it's like when I get to this chair I'm sitting in, we talk about some of the things that are happening. Uh, and and it's not. Yeah. 
you know, it's not. And, you know, every time I sit here and tell stories and people are like, what? Well, I remember Joe Maysatter at the Christmas show we did. And I had I didn't prep him like I didn't prep you on purpose and just told he goes, wait, that, that that happened? And, you know, because what sells, you know? If you go on MSN.com, there is a good news page, but you got to go to it. The regular news appears. You have to actually click on the good news to get to it. But there they they do. They are now doing the energy. At least at least there is a good news page. Father Glenn Snow is winning because Father Glenn Snow puts out a story right. every single day. Father Glenn Snow worked with us at Carmel, folks, and and uh, for years. And he's a big friend of Carmel. He is in a parish right now in in Arizona, uh, and but he still does that that thing every day. Uh, you know, I want to start with this remarkable story about two people who were accosted by a homeless man in Little Rock, Arkansas. And they were accosted only because they wanted to stop him from going through their garbage. And he was looking for food. And it was an ugly situation. It turned uglier. Police were called. And then it calmed down. And then he came back. And then that turned into a conversation, which led to a sandwich, which led to him cleaning up, which led to a meal here and there, which led to another conversation. This is where it gets great. Uh, which led to what happened to you? What happened in your life? Where's your family? I don't know. Who's your family? It turns out he does have a daughter. And where is she? We want to contact her. Oh, she wouldn't want to hear from you. How do you know? Well, it turned out he he, he, re, he remembered her old phone number. She wouldn't take the this couple's calls first. I think probably because she didn't believe that it was they were calling for him. But ultimately, she accepted the calls. And then she accepted... I want to see my father. Then she said, bring my daddy to me. And they got him in the car, got him some new clothes, cleaned him up. And ready for this? They drove him 600 miles. <laughs> I'll get teary talking. 600 miles and pulled up in her driveway. And she opened the door and then watched. And the two of them, she opened the door. Took three quick steps out, stopped dead. He jumped out of the car, stopped dead. Neither one of them knowing what to do next. And of course, as you could guess, and in a huge hug situation. And and I mean, it's not all. It didn't. It it wasn't all roses and peaches or whatever you want to say. But it. They hugged. It was a great moment. They had a great meal together. Uh, he lives now in a place with a roof, etc in his daughter's town and they have a great relationship that just happened it just hit the news two days ago you know you know that i write about to this faculty about our kids work with homeless people mm -hmm. when you hear a story like that john i know tldr too long didn't read but <laughs> when i send out an email about what you know you you hear you do hear stories like that what what's your first thought What's what's your first thought about homelessness and what what we do with it? I just think that uh, 
you know, what you said there in the story was that, you know, there's a story behind each person there, you know, they're a human being and there's a, there was a really good video and I think it was actually our, um, uh, one of our campus ministers, uh, Canberra uh, Capel, who sent the, out the uh, video with Ronald. I wish I could remember his name right now off the top of my head, but she sent out a great video about homeless people not being bums. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a story behind how each human being got there. Um, and I think, you know, if we explored that and, and recognized them and saw them as human beings, I think we'd feel differently, a lot differently about the problem in general and probably handle it better. Do you think maybe that's not only what you just said, drop the idea of homelessness and just separate the word homelessness, pull that out and put the word racism in. And wouldn't your sentence do the same thing? Remember, there's a peop- that's a person there. And there's a person behind that story. And why do we, you know, there's a story behind that person. So why are we, you know, racism? Uh, Whatever, you know, um, somebody from another country. Well, I think recognizing everybody as a human being, step one, you know. I think think it's important to remember, too, that uh, we don't choose where we're born. You know, we didn't choose to be American, at least all of us who were born here. um, We were lucky enough to be born here. And. Um, you know, when you compare that to, to what your life would be like if you were born in most of the countries in the world, um, you know, just being born in a, in a country where it's not a privilege or not unusual to have running water and heat and uh, enough food to, you know, give your body nourishment is something that uh, we probably don't spend enough time being thankful for. And uh, being able to recognize that other people aren't lucky enough to be born into that situation is, is worthwhile. Yeah, there's there's a lot to be said for that, and and boy, that was well said, and I didn't prep him for that, folks. That that's like <laughs> usually usually the guests will stumble through a story like that and go, whoa, whoa, what are we doing? See that one, that one. Uh, I like that my you know this when I tell the stories, John. I like that the ones that really hit me are the ones I take with me. Mm-hmm. So the second one is is uh, there's a nursing student. And she's in Florida, and she's taking buses. She's taking hitching rides with neighbors to get close to where she's got to go to get to school and then get to the job that's paying the rent that she has to pay and just to scrape by on the tuition for the nursing school. And she's got to spend time in the hospital, you know, doing the hours. And you know how that goes. you got to do hours. It's hours and hours. To, you know, to become a counselor, I had to do like a 1,000 hours. And, you know, you got to do hours. And so she's got to do all this, and she doesn't have a car. And she scraped together a couple hundred bucks. She goes to a used car lot. And, of course, there's, there's literally nothing there. <laughs> and there's a guy who's trading in his car who's rather well-to-do, not that well-to-do, but well-to-do enough. He's training his car. And he asked the guy, what's, she, what's, her, what's her story? And, the, and she got embarrassed. And she said, never mind, mister, never mind, sir. I just want to know the story. And she just got embarrassed and you know, walked away, asked him again, but stayed away from the guy. So then she left because there was nothing there for him. Well, he approached the guy. He goes, I'm, tra- I'm training this car in for a new car. I want to know hers. What's going on? And the guy says, okay. She's a nursing student. He goes, I'm not going to tell you her name, but here's what they He goes, okay, I'm not training the car anymore. I'm buying the car. I want to give her the trade-in. But you got to call her. 
she's got to come back. I want to, I, I, I want to shake her hand. I want to meet her and tell her, come on, be the best nurse that ever was. And the guy, the guy kind of challenged mm-hmm. the giver and said, well, can I just take the car and give it to her? He goes, no, I don't need the reward. I just want to look her in the eyes and tell her, now go be a great nurse. Can I do that? And the owner went, okay. And he went back, and he had the little card they had written out on the girl and called her back. And she goes, what? And she didn't want to come back. She thought it was a, a hoax. And she came back, and they got the same dude. He sat and waited. <laughs> he went like this with the keys, <laughs> jingled them, and said, here, I want you to have this car. Now, I'm going to give you this car. Now, will you? Be, I want to know you're going to become the best nurse you can be. You know what she did? She wrote out her name her cell phone number, and asked him for a cell phone number. She said, I will give you a monthly update. (laughs) (laughs) Why is it that on page one? Yeah, that's a nice story. Don't you think? I don't know that I could give a car away. (laughs) Yeah. Could could you give a car away, John? Maybe. Maybe. You know, that's the... uh, that's the thing I come back to, too, is like, you know, and we, we focus on this a lot at Carmel, but there's there's a real difference between donating money and donating time or, you know, being, um, you know, even even between the work we do, you know, when, if, if we're preparing, you know, meals versus, you know, working at a, a soup kitchen or a pad shelter, like there's a difference there and it's because it's the human interaction part of it. It's the... You know, um, you know, when people talk about that feeling of giving being just as good as receiving, that's it. That's that's where it comes from. It's that human connection, that realization that you're doing something that, you know, is making such a big impact on somebody's life. And even if it's something small to us, a lot of times to the person who's receiving that, uh, it means a completely different thing. Yeah. You know, I think about uh you know, my my wild, you know, my three children, my wilder son, um, Ted and my wife and I text, I think I'm, I'm pretty sure I told a story about, he's going down to visit a friend of his downtown and who's got a condo down there about two years ago, and three years ago now, and he's like 22. And he's just walking from the train station. And there, and he's watching a homeless guy up against the wall, uh, five, five guys. That's just sitting there. And he's getting roused by the policeman. <laughs> so he walks up. Walks up. Typical Michael. Mm-hmm. So excuse me, officer. I'm uh, I'm buying him a burger. As can you leave him sit here? We were gonna sit together. Sure you were. No, no, I was. You want a burger, don't you? And the guy looked at him. And went, well, yeah. He goes, okay. I'll be right back out. And so he came out with two burgers and two cokes and two orders of fries. And he sat with the guy and they had a burger. Yeah. And he said, uh, he told me a story later. He said, oh, I didn't know exactly what I was going to do when I sat down. <laughs> because, okay, here's the food. I wanted to give him the food, but then the policeman was sitting there in the car watching us. Right. So I told so what's your story? Yeah. <laughs> and so the guy told him his life story. They ate the burger, ate the fries. And he looked at the guy and said, uh, you're going to have to get out of here. You know that. The guy said, yeah, I know. Yeah. Will you help me up? <laughs> so he helped him up. The guy walked away. And the police officer had a smile on his face when my son went by. And the police officer said, I bet you feel good about yourself right now. And my son said, I sure do, officer. And he thought the policeman was thought he was a smart aleck. Mm-hmm. But he took three steps further. And the policeman said, you should, son. <laughs> 
you should. <laughs> and yeah. It was a great moment because I think my son learned a lesson about the police officer, right. too. He was just doing his job, you know. I don't think he was being... A, but it's a great story because of because of the personal the personal part of it. Right. I think uh, and it ties and it ties into this guy with the. I mean, are you kidding me? Which and you're saying at Carmel we do this a lot. You know, I read a a reflection from a girl. Uh, who talked about, you know, we were talking about the biblical story of Joseph being sold by his brothers. I mean, sold by his brothers into slavery. And then the way the story ends, like happily ever after, for crying out loud. So I said, did that ever happen? Does that ever happen? And, you know, you worry. I think I worry. I don't know if you do, but I'm concerned about these generations, the next ones. Now, I know your generation, and I work with, when I, when I worked with them at Carmel, I know there's a lot of hope there. There was still a lot of hope. But you think about today. Are the 14 and 15-year-olds still got a lot of hope or not? Because, you know, what are they seeing? And we're getting a no from a junior from Carmel in the other room. Uh, he's like, no, we don't. Okay, well, frankly, my freshmen haven't because what they wrote. Because I told them, okay, tell me a story. A story, a personal story about bad turning good. And I mean bad. And I could, I could tell you. Fifteen of them. But well, the one that really rings true is a girl whose older brother and her were real tight. And she had no idea, neither mom and dad, that, the, that he, was, he, was in, he was in some some trouble. And she's at school, and she gets picked up by mom who's in tears. What's going on? And they got to pick up the son, at the, the, her brother at school, and he won't talk in the car. They meet dad. They're in a hospital. They're, they're discussing. And she's like, what happened? And it was the worst day of her life. She said, quote, in the, in the story, it was the single worst day of my life. I cried all night, cried myself to sleep, and never wanted to go back to school. Because everybody was going to say what happened. But what happened after that? They went to the hospital. They met with their, their brother, her brother. They sat around in a circle. They talked. They talked more. They talk all the time. <laughs> he comes home. Now they talk at dinner every day. They talk all the time. They all tell their stories. And she says sometimes, two or three days a week, they never leave the dinner table. <laughs> they don't even get to the homework. She goes, this is the coolest thing in the world. He goes, she said, I have the best family in the world. <laughs> and she said, I never knew anything. I thought I knew my brother well. I did not know my brother at all. And she goes, frankly, I didn't know my mother and father. And now the four of them sit around the table. They can't wait for dinner. And here was a situation that was tearing on the edge. They know. So wait, this is to Ben. Um, they know there's good. They know there's good behind the bad. I think, you know, you think about a story like that. Uh, so there's a guy in Alabama. He's in his early 70s. This is going to surprise you. I'm positive it's going to surprise you when I give you the facts at the end because because of our expectations. And he's going to get his tires. Okay, I'm not good at this. When you get them rotated. Thank you. Thank you. 
It, it's a square. It always confuses me. Why do they call it rotating? Rotating is a circle. You know, this is a story fits uh, WSFI. I don't say that enough. Uh, 88.5 FM. Okay, so he's he's uh, he's getting his tires rotated. That's what he does because he's retired. His name's Alex. He's a vet. A lot of vets do stuff like this. And he's sitting there. Knows all the guys in the entire place because, you know, this is what he does. He gets them rotated like four times a year. He's just hanging out. That's the way he is, right? And here comes a lady in there. She, she's worried about her truck. She's driving a beat-up old pickup truck. She's got two little kids in her. And they walk out and look at her car. And he's looking at the thing before they even look at it. And he's like, they're, if they're are those really tires? Because there's no tread. It's bald. And he's afraid already for her. And she's like, what? Oh, how much will it be? How much? And they come up with a price. And she goes, I, I got the two kids. I can't afford these tires. I can't do this. And she gets back up to back up. He's standing in her way. He won't let her back up out of the spot. She goes, sir, I, I have to back up. I have to leave. He goes, no, you can't leave. You got two little kids. She goes, you don't understand. You can't butt into my story here. I'm sorry. I, You know, you're a nice man because he had struck up a conversation with her earlier. He goes, no, you cannot leave. Those two kids, this is dangerous. You cannot leave. She goes, I don't have the money. And the owner comes out. She, he goes, uh, you don't need the money. We're, we have four new tires for you. We're going to put them on right now. She goes, where did the four new tires come from? And the owner pointed at the dude who was the, the veteran who was sitting there. He goes, pull the car inside. We're going to put the tires on there. She goes, I can't afford to pay you back. He goes, did I ask you to pay me back? I didn't ask you to pay me back. I, I'm asking you to pull the car so we can make it safe for your kids and you. She, she's like, boom. they put the tires on. He's gone. He left. She's pulling out. She says to the owner, um, are these secondhand tires? He goes, brand spanking new, ma'am. Brand spanking new. Those are the words, which I which I love because that's an old way of saying it. Brand spanking new. Are you ready for this? Fourteen hundred bucks. He put the tires in her car. And this is Alabama, 2019. And I, you know me, I don't care if a person's purple, green, orange, or blue, but in our world, this is Alabama. The vet, African American. The lady, white. If I'd asked you to pick beforehand, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Does it make the, I wish it didn't make the story more powerful, but it does, doesn't it? And you know what? Hallelujah. I wish it didn't. Maybe in the next life, the next group, the next generations, it won't matter. But I think that makes the story even more powerful. Because of the veteran, he didn't care. He didn't care what color she was. He knew she needed tires, so he bought them. I like that guy. I like the fact that that guy was protecting me at some point. You know what I'm saying? It's a nice story. Yeah, it is, John. It is. Uh, the uh, if you if you t if you take a look at uh, oh, oh I thought I had time more time. Boy, that that the time went down. See, John Halloran. Um, 
so here you go. Guy's got his two little girls in the car. Orange County, not Orange County, Florida. Orange County, somewhere north. I think it was Minnesota, as I recall, because I, when I copied the story, I cut out the where it was from. But I do know it was from Orange County, okay? 22-year-old woman's driving. She slides right off a bridge into the icy cold water. The car is sinking. She gets on top of the car. She's standing on the top of the car, and it's sinking. So here comes this dude with his two little kids in the car <laughs> across the bridge. And there's now a, a, a gathering of about 25 people. And they're standing and watching. And they're, trying, and they're calling, but they're standing and watching. He pulls up. He runs out and goes, what's going on? And they're watching the thing go down. And they, we've called 911. They said they're on the way. He goes, that thing's going down. Icy cold. He jumped off the bridge. <laughs> he jumped off the bridge, swam to the car, and grabbed her as it was going under, and she was flailing, and she was going crazy because, you know, she, she lost it. She was going crazy. And she knocked him under twice. And he pulled her to the surface and said, if you do that again, you're going to kill us both. Please stop it. She's screaming, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then, I'm freezing, I'm freezing, I'm freezing. And that's the last thing he remembers. Because he went under and frozen. And he, the next thing he remembered is he woke up in the back of an ambulance. And his two kids were in the front waving at him. And the lady got taken to the hospital. And he made it too. <laughs> he got to the edge of the bridge, stood up, went, what's going on? That lady's out. Well, we got to wait. <laughs> not a chance. No. Uh, not a chance. I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. So these are the stories, John. Do you like that? Yeah. Well, it's nice to focus on positive stuff. It really, really is. And the first half of it, we got a lot of positive stuff from our guest, John Halloran, who is an accomplished, well, an accomplished everything. Teacher, former coach, writer, dad, husband, and world traveler this summer, apparently. Uh, my name's Mike Fitzgibbons. This was the Story Fits, WSFI FM 88.5. Thanks for joining us.